Hey, this is Matthew Ma, the host of the Truth About Real Estate podcast. And today we're going to be talking with Marius on the differences between trading and investing. And we want to learn more about how he went from 10,000 to a million, 1.1 million, to over $10 million now in uh, investing. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Cool. So let's talk, let's talk about it. When did you really start investing? And how did you get into investing? Uh, you know, I was, I was always interested in money. So, uh, so it's like from an early childhood, I wanted to be a cashier at the store because I saw cashiers counting money. Uh, and so when I went to school, I got my degree in finance, uh, graduated in 2003. And, uh, you know, I was, I was interested at that point uh, in investing, uh, but I first entered the investing space on the real estate side, actually, because I was uh, during those 2000s. That's when the poor dad, rich dad books <laughs> got published and kind of steered me towards real estate. Uh, but, um, you know, I didn't have any money. So I figured that the best way to learn about real estate at that time was to become an appraiser. So I became an appraiser on the residential side and then on the commercial side. Then I worked as a broker uh, selling apartments. And, uh, but I didn't really have the, the, the passion for real estate the way I have for uh, stocks. And when 2009 financial crisis hit, like literally on December 31st, 2008, I went to my, my boss and I said, I'm quitting real estate. I'm going into the stock market full time. So at that point, that's when I had 10,000 to my name. And within those at 12 years, I was able to turn it into, you know, like you said, uh, 4 million. And then, you know, and then it fluctuates from here, but it's it's getting close to like 10 million. Let's talk about that too. So you founded uh, Classic Venture, Classic Value Investors and Microcap Explosions. Can you tell me more about that? So Classic Value Investors is, is kind of like, um, I guess, my old website that mm -hmm. I don't really update much anymore. But this is what, what I found at in 2009 and microcap explosions is what i focus on now more because during the COVID, when uh, you know everything was shut down that's when i started making videos on youtube because uh, i was bored and people kept asking me if i have a service or anything like that so they kind of pushed me into starting microcap explosions which is a private membership website where i reveal my portfolio or i talk about you know the micro cap companies or small cap companies that i personally invest in so what is for for those who don't know who don't invest in the stock market and we're trying to learn about it like what are micro caps you mentioned small companies but like how's that different like in terms of like why why do they call it micro cap and like how do people deal with that where do they ignore it do they focus on it well, my, microcap companies are are companies that have small capitalization. Uh, so market capitalization is like like an equity of a company. So sa same thing as an apartment building. You have an equity equity portion that you own, or or you might have a debt portion. Uh, and so the equity side, if you had an apartment building with equity over a million dollars, market cap would be that million dollars. And so when companies are traded on pu public exchanges you are able to buy into the equity portion. And market cap is you, you take all of the shares that are available, multiply it times the stock price, and that's your equity. That's your equity value based on what the market is pricing that equity. And so micro cap companies are, there, there's no 
definition, like solid definition, but I would mm -hmm. say a equity value of less than 100 million, uh, those would be considered micro cap companies. And the reason why I focus on them is because barely anybody knows this sector exists. Those companies, a lot of times, trade on secondary exchanges. So not on NASDAQ, not necessarily on New York Stock Exchange, but they might trade on secondary exchanges. Like, for example, Toronto Stock Exchange Venture or Canadian Stock Exchange or OTC, which stands for over the market. And I would say 99% of stock market investors don't even know these exchanges exist. Uh, but I focus on them because I have very little competition because so few people are aware of it. And smaller companies tend to be ignored by the investment industry because the investment industry, which is run by institutions, hedge funds, uh, financial advisors, they, they, they ignore that industry because they're, they're too big. They have so much money under management and they have to look for places where they can put a lot of money to work at, at one time. And you can't really do this when you're investing in companies that have equity value of 10 million or 50 million. You would have to find hundreds or thousands of these to fit yeah. a lot of money in. So the institutions are out. I have no competition from the institutional point of view. And then as far as retail, what, what, what retail, I mean, they're chasing Bitcoin, crypto, uh, AMC, uh, you know, meme stocks. They don't even know this sector exists. So I don't have competition from the institutions. I don't have a competition from, from retailers. And the people that are in that space, actually, uh, I always make fun of it because those people that are in the microcap space, they're interested in pot and gold. So I always joke about it. I say that they're mm -hmm. high on pot and they're looking for gold. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the real companies in that space, they, it's, you know, they, they don't have that much competition. So that's how I was able to make so much money purely because of that. Nice. That make that makes total sense too, because you're looking for opportunity where uh, others aren't really focused on, and then that actually gives you advantage too. Because if the more experience you build into that area that you are interested in, and the more you find, and the more you have knowledge about it, and the less competition you have against it, the more likelihood you can really build that experience and value and increase your margins because you're focusing on that one there. Um, and maybe there's a reason too, like these companies out there, yeah, they, like you mentioned too, they have so much money that they need to spend it elsewhere because they can't spend time looking at thousands of small companies. They need to put their money into uh, these funds, these, these companies, and at some point look at the returns. Another part, another point of view too would be how's, how does that compare a micro cap company versus a big, large um, company and then the risk factor? Well, I mean, anytime you have a company that's smaller, uh, in general, smaller companies are riskier and they are less established. Okay, uh, but I, I would say that eighty to ninety percent of those smaller companies are not investable. Like they're too risky. They don't have revenues. They have a they have a business model that I, I'm not even interested in. Like if they're doing cannabis or they're looking for cure cure for cancer, no, no, thank you. But then there's those ten to twenty percent of companies that are very interesting that either have, uh, and I'm looking for good businesses. So I'm looking for businesses that maybe have a, a product that once clients are using it, they're kind of locked in. So there's high switching costs. They have something special about them. Or, or there may be companies that um, are going to become big and now are smaller, but are already winning clients, already have revenues. That, that, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking at, I'm looking for.
That's good. And I think one thing too is like, there's so many different ways to invest in uh, businesses. Like you can invest in businesses, you can invest in real estate, there, and you can invest in notes and bonds. Um, there's so many different ways. And I think it comes down to just being like what you focus on. Like, for example, you mentioned too, in real estate, it wasn't something of really a pa of being a passion. You found more passion in investing during, especially during a crash, like a in 2008, then when you find something you really enjoy, it makes it so much easier. It becomes fun, not doesn't become work and doesn't become as stressful because it's something that you enjoy to look at every day. And then the more experience you get into it, the easier it is for you to see what's happening and take a look at the economics, uh, what's happening, especially during COVID time and say, Hey, you know, based on these experiences, how do I think these companies would perform? What do I think is going to happen? Does that make sense? Is it a physical retail? Is it digital? Is it, you know, something that can easily expand or something that has a supply chain issue and it will go down then you can take a look at that too right that's why you say 10 to 20 percent in there might work but it's tough too because how much time do you need to spend actually looking at each company to realize it's going to be good or bad well uh, the way i find the companies first is i'll uh, let me give you an example so canadian stock exchange has about 700 companies listed so i would go through every company every company on the exchange one by one. But um, a lot of them I eliminated very quickly because if they don't have revenues or if they are in cannabis or gold and silver, I just elim eliminate them right away. So you narrow it down to maybe like 80, 80 from that list. And then you narrow it down again to maybe like 20. So then you just need to look at those 20. And then, yeah, it takes, once you once you like what you what you see, then I will spend two to three weeks on it to, to make sure that, you know, the story checks out and it's the company is really what it is, which what I would do is I would get on the phone um, just like I would do as an appraiser. Like w when I would appraise a property, I would have to get on the phone to verify everything, taxes and uh, assessment and things like that, uh, uh, you know, rent comps and things like that. I would get on the phone and I would call the clients of these companies and I would ask them, why are you using the, the product? What's so special about the product? I would call the management, of course, because I want them to sell me on the idea. And then I would talk to uh, maybe employees or former employees. Former employees are good because they tell you all the dirt about the you need to know. <laughs> and so that's how I would find out if... The, you know, if this is for real, because every company out there will tell you they're the best, they have the best technology and all that stuff. Well, if you talk to the clients and the clients tell you why they're using it and why they're not using the competitor, you, you really can find something special there. Um, yeah. That's a good point too, because for yeah, especially in that point of view, you're actually diving in deeper. You're talking to people who have reference to it, such as clients or past employees. Past employees are a great resource too, because they'll tell you all the reasons they might hate it, but it might be mm -hmm. dependent on just one factor. Like, okay, a bad boss in per se, but that doesn't mean the company's actually bad. It might mean just a bad boss in a bad department. But as the more people you talk to, the more you realize the real story behind everything. And some people might like it. They might have just left for that one reason. Or like you mentioned too, clients who are actively using it, why they're using it, maybe they're aware or they're not aware. But the more you engage and learn, the better it is. Because once you find the hook and that hook is there and people want to use it and it becomes a sticky platform, then the more likelihood that it can continue growing and as their marketing gets better or the um, just awareness, brand awareness gets better, then it can start growing, right? Yeah, yeah and, and general, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to be to be frank, mm -hmm. you're not really looking for a perfect company yeah. uh, because a 
a perfect company doesn't exist. You're just trying to find out what it is that you're getting yourself involved in. And, you know, I'm not saying that there won't be any criticism about the CEO. I mean, how many times do we encounter in life that a person is a complete moron and (laughs) a, a bad human being, but that human being can be successful in business because he he can solve the client's problems and the clients will give him business even though you know in his personal life he's not the greatest person on the planet exactly and then there's some good leaders and you might not believe them or feel that way about it but they'll they'll lead you to success right like you look at Amazon, Tesla, everyone, and how they work so hard to get to where they're at, how they're willing to fail and willing to learn and try. But they, they're the ones, they're the 1% who stand out from everyone and who are taking massive action. Yeah. So and look at, look, look, look at Apple, for example, uh, Steve Jobs. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't the nicest person. Okay. Uh, people complain about him. He, he wasn't even honest with Steve Wozniak. Um, he, you know, screwed him out of money not just one time um so it's it's good to know it's it's good to know that and and actually i missed out on apple because of that because i had this view that steve Wozniak is not uh, no steve jobs was not the uh you know not not an honest person but at the end of the day you have to it's good to know it's good to know that what the person is like but then the most important thing is the business. Can they can they make the business successful? Can they solve the problems for its clients? And if they can, it's going to show up in revenues. And if they can run it successfully in terms of profitability, the business is going to be successful. And you as the owner, a partial owner in the business, you're going to succeed. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, when you look at these micro cap companies versus uh, the big companies, how are, in general, you know, um, how are these companies doing right now, especially during the last two years? And then how does it look for investors and your returns? Well, it depends on depends on which ones, mm-hmm. because you, like the entire uh, like this the exchange that I told you about TSXV, which is Toronto Stock Exchange. If you look at Toronto Stock Exchange return over the last twelve years as a as a group, it's down uh, because. I, like I said before, 80 to 90% of those companies that are there are toxic and I wouldn't touch. You're looking for the 10 to 20%. And uh, some of the companies that I got involved in did very well. One company almost made me 100 times my, my, my money. Another company did 10x my money. Um, so I, I, I focus on individual companies. If the story and the business of individual company is good, it's going to make me money, and if I don't overpay for the stock, then uh, then then it's so easy to it's so easy to make money when you pick the right company and yeah. you don't overpay <laughs> for it. Okay, you, it's so easy, but it's so hard to make money when you choose a really bad business, and especially when you overpay for it. It doesn't matter how much you know about the company. It doesn't matter how wonderful the CEO is. If you pick a pick a bad business, a bad industry, and you overpay for it it's almost impossible to make money. So how do you know, um, how do you use your gut, your knowledge, and know you're picking a good company versus a bad company? Are there, what indicators do you see as either being good or bad upfront? I want to I wanna have a good quality revenues. So mm-hmm. you, if I have a choice between recurring revenues or one-time revenues, I want recurring revenues. That's true. Yeah. And I want revenues that are, 
high gross gross margin revenues because a company A with uh, $100 of revenues might not equal to company B with $100 of revenues is how much are you making on those revenues? What is your gross profit margin? You know, I want companies that have, you know, 50% profit margin or more or are on the way of improving that margin because if, if the margins are good, then the bottom line is 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 likely to to be achieved, um, and you know. So I look at the quality of those revenues. Uh, I I look at how sticky the customers are, uh, because the stickier they are, the more the more high quality revenues uh, I have. Uh, and then I look at how much does it cost to grow those revenues. Um, the, there's a capital intensive way of growing revenues and there's a cheap way of growing revenues. If you have an apartment building, 10 unit apartment building that's fully occupied, how can you grow revenues? Uh, you have to build another apartment building or yeah. you have to buy another apartment building that's capital intensive. But if yeah. you have maybe a technology platform, how much does it cost you to double the clients? Nothing. Very little because your platform is already built. So you might have to spend some money on marketing. Well, you also have to spend money on getting new tenants to your apartment building, but you don't have to build another business. So that's that's important. How do those revenues grow? Do the revenues grow, you know, in a capital intensive way? If, if for example, you're in the business of, uh, you know, taking people on cruises, like ship cruises. Uh, how can you increase revenues? You got to build another ship. Well, another ship can cost you hundred million dollars. You see, those those kinds of businesses are not the businesses that I want. I, I don't want those kinds of businesses. Capital intensive businesses is not an interest for me. I want I want revenues to grow without you know spending a lot of money. That's very true. It's kind of like when you watch Shark Tank TV, you know, the same principles apply to, to those guys. They look at what you just mentioned too, like looking at the hockey stick and how companies can grow and how not being cap- capital intensive is actually advantageous, right? And the fact that you can do it at scale and, you know, like you say, increase your marketing, increase the product knowledge, increase the values of it and making it stickier, the more likelihood it can gain traction and gaining that traction can make it so much more substantial. Like building another apartment, buying another apartment, adding value it takes a lot of time a lot of work and you can increase value there and there's different principles of real estate versus investing in the stock market but you know from your point of view too you know when you find those companies you just mentioned that have 50 percent gross margin or more that's not capital intensive and is doing well and has a good leadership and has a good sticky product that just needs traction then that's really a great way to see and figure out um, you know, you know to- talking uh, talking about mm-hmm. real estate here, mm-hmm. real estate or 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 stock market investing. You see, I would actually I actually tell people that when they don't have a lot of money to their name, it's better to go into real estate because real estate is not very scalable and real estate is very local. So if if let's say I have nothing to my name, go and get a real estate license, start selling real estate because you can you can invest your time and you can make a lot of money quickly if you're successful. Selling commercial real estate or high-priced residential uh, properties, you can make commissions of fifty to a hundred thousand, right? So that I would say, do that. Now, once you have ten thousand to fifty thousand dollars, it's probably best to go and find a home to flip, uh, because you don't have you don't have a lot of competition in the local area, and you can really find inefficiencies. 
But once you reach another level, you know, 500,000 or a million, uh, then, then it's better to actually go into the stock market because then you can get a lot more leverage uh, because you can simply buy more shares of the company that you want. And, and uh, you know, to do this in real estate, uh, it's, which is not very scalable, you have to hire more people, you have to get more money from the bank. Um, it becomes tough to scale the business. So when you're starting off, real estate is fantastic. Then when you have more money, you can, you can le- le- leverage it up better in the stock market. Good. Really good points of view. And I actually want to talk about that too, because, you know, I'm interested in both categories, right? Especially as a real estate investor and syndicator, you know, building a scale, it takes a lot of time. So for in real estate as an agent, yeah, you got to sell a lot of properties, get a, make a lot of commission, use the commission to do flipping, to do investing, multi-units. And as you start growing bigger, you go into syndication, you start using other people's money, leveraging more, going to bigger buildings. But at some point, that is also capital intensive still. And then when the opposite side of things I look at too is the stock market. How does that work? How does it play into everything in the economy? And then, you know, spending your time also too, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not a full-time investor in the stock market, it's harder because I have to spend X amount of time. I'm not getting as knowledgeable quickly to do it. So then you really have to d- depend on other people to help guide you through that process to understand these companies, to dive deep like you are. You're calling people, finding out more details about per company. I'm spending my time looking at real estate properties, multi-units, and figuring that out. Um, but going back to one consideration I always look at too and I want to ask you about is like okay if I were to invest x amount into stock market things come in like you know risk factor taxation benefits you know over over time like short-term long-term capital gains on that and how does that play in the long-term effect with the risk calculated in how does that money um versus real estate which in the real estate component of things i have tax i have depreciation cost segregations accelerated i can have investments and i'm getting residual return on rental units and i I can create by doing add value i can create equity onto the property and resell it and the risk for me even though it's more capital intensive might seem lower just based on experience yeah, I mean, real estate, real estate is absolutely wonderful from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you have depreciation you can use to offset your income. And when you take debt on the property, you can, you know, uh, deduct interest expense. Uh, it's wonderful. And then you can use 1031 if you want to delay yeah. your capital gains. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and actually, uh, you know, I started in real estate on the you know, appraising side and broker side, and then I left it. But now that I have, you know, some gains, I'm actually looking back and into real estate because I do want exactly what you said, you know, as a as a way to diversify income. Recently, I was looking at a mobile home park. I wanted to buy a mobile home park uh, in Texas, and I went to look at it, and we ended up walking away from it. From it, But exactly for those reasons that you mentioned, I am looking back at real estate, you know, to be able to generate monthly monthly income that is shielded from from taxes because I just finished my taxes right now mm-hmm. yeah and uh, and I'm like I owe like four hundred thousand yeah for, for last year and I'm like oh yeah but but at, you see but at the end of the day it's like you know if I owe so much money that means I made a lot of money and I I made successful investments so it, it's it's it just depends you know uh, uh, like if I can make, you know, four times, 10 times my money, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it might be more more beneficial. But then I want to take some of that money and, you know, put it in real estate to create that stability. 
Yeah. And let's talk about this too. So like, I, I always have a lot of fun discussing this and, you know, I, t- I tell people, especially the audience, you got to talk to your professional CPAs, your lawyers, your tax attorneys, and your asset managers and asset protection companies to really figure it out. But going from an educational perspective of things, like looking at this, looking at what the top 1% are, they're paying less taxes than us. They're focused heavily on uh, re- finding legal ways to reduce taxes, right? Tax shelters, tax uh, things. So when I'd have like, great guests who talk about like asset protection plans, uh, tax attorneys and CPAs, you can see how they all have different perspectives, but they're, le- they're using legal guidelines to find the best ways to optimize, especially at your level when you're this successful. No one wants to pay $400,000 in taxes. So even for you, even in your profession, you know, finding the right team of people to help you reduce it as much as possible. That's something I would say to that I want to focus on this year is really fight, learning who the right people are and talking to them and getting educated. I know it costs time and money, but at the same time, if they're saving you X amount of money, that's greater than what you're paying them, then by all means do it, right? Because they're going to help you with it and protect you in some capacity of what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, when I look at the stock market, some people, CPAs mentioned to me, Hey, whatever they're doing, discount it in half. For example, if they're making 10x, technically after taxation and everything, it's probably 5x, right? But in real estate, it is hard to 5x anything in real estate. You're not going to get that number anyways. But over time, you look at all the different calculations and see what makes sense for the individual and how that plays in. But in general, I mean, you could, you could, you could, you could 5x your equity in real estate. I mean, yeah, I yeah. 5xed my equity in a home that I bought because mm-hmm. you know I bought I bought a home in 2014. For one hundred forty thousand, and I put yeah. down twenty thousand on it. Now, now Zillow is telling me it's worth two hundred seventy. So, nice. yeah, my equity more than five x. I mean, assuming Zillow is correct, which is yeah. not, but it's at, at least it's going to be close close to it. And you know, if you're talking about apartment buildings, especially when you look at turnaround place or at value place, you can absolutely do very well with the equity. You know, yeah, um, and I like that too. Like in syndications and stuff. You see some properties, they're probably like hitting 1.25, 1.5, maybe 2.1. And that's not bad at all. And you think take that into account with everything you're doing. It's nice. And for me, like as we get older, I learn about, you know, time is more valuable than anything. Gaining time back. Like I don't want to be an active flipper. I don't want to be fixing and flipping everything myself. I'd rather start learning to leverage further, faster and going into multi-unit space, going into storage, mobile home parks, leveraging our time back because time is the most valuable to anyone. Um, and even stock market too, when you're doing this, like you mentioned, add more shares, you just created more leverage. If the company is going to do well, you put X money in and at some point it's going to X return. If you knew that most likely the prediction is 4X, then how much time did you just save making 4X by just putting money in, right? Right. You, you, you well, and, and also, and also um, you see the, the, the companies that I, that I own stock in, uh, it takes it takes time. It takes time to four x your money, five x, ten x your money. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it, it 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 takes years. You know, three three to five years. And so, what do you do? What do you do during those times that you wait? Well, there's not much to do. Once you find an investment, you have to learn how to sit on it. You have to sit on your butt and do nothing. And <laughs> yeah, and and that's the hardest thing to do. Uh, Charlie Munger, who is you know uh, Warren Buffett's. Uh, partner at Berkshire Hathaway, he said that the hardest thing for money managers is to sit on the butt and do nothing. That's the hardest thing. Because yeah. especially now with you know social media being in your face, there's always the next great idea out there. 
And I tell people all the time, it's like, look, I can find you the next 10x potential every week. But just because it's a 10x potential doesn't mean you're going to experience the 10x. In order for you to experience the 10x, you have to actually sit on your butt and do nothing for for years, which is difficult for people. So, so um, you know, once you find those investments, there's not much to do other than to follow them. Uh, and that's why I actually have a YouTube channel because it helps me wait. I, I can just talk about things, you know, keep myself busy uh, doing that instead of switching my portfolio all the time from one idea to the next. Yeah, that makes sense too. And I'm glad you're talking about that too because I think one thing I want to mention too is it's really hard for people to first off start investing in real estate or in stocks. It's hard to start, right? People don't want to take risk. And there's people out there, a huge percentage who don't take any risk. But for the ones who are actually actively starting to take risk, um, the good thing about it is like you invest and you learn as you go, right? You don't just dump all your money in one company, but you slowly invest, start growing it. Like when you first start at 10,000, 10,000 in the beginning means a lot and you don't want to lose any of it. But when you start leveraging and seeing the results pay off over time, so like you mentioned, things take three to five years. Real estate fix and flip doesn't take one week. It's unless you're doing really quick turnarounds, it takes time, like maybe one month, three months, half a year, a year. And then as you start building into multi-units, it takes three to five years too, because how are you adding value to massive units, remodeling cosmetically, and then improving it and selling it takes time too. And any investment takes time. But in the stock market, the, the risk is understanding the company, the work, what they're doing is it becomes sticky. But like you mentioned, if you have 50% margins, then you can wait and watch over time that grow. And if you were to keep trading your portfolio, you're going to have to deal with short-term gains, right? Short-term capital gains. Versus well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting what you said about it takes time for it takes time to turn around a property. It mm -hmm. takes time to uh, fix it up. That's one thing. If it needs fixing, then it takes time to lease it, lease it up. Uh, it can take two to three years to do this. And as, a, as an operator, a real estate operator, you understand that. You understand that patience. And, and people that are in business, whether it's in real estate business or any other business, they also understand that it takes time. It takes time to get contracts. It takes, takes time to add clients. takes time to build a company. takes time to add value uh, to your company. And if you took those same people, and a lot of times I see this, people in business world, you take them into the stock market investing, all of a sudden they forget that it takes time. Uh, now it's like, oh, they're impatient. They, they want things now because the ticker symbol is being quoted to them every day. But this doesn't change it. It takes time. So people in business have the right foundation. They have the right foundation, right understanding to be successful in real estate, uh, to be successful in the stock market. But what is hard for them to do is sit on their butt and do nothing because that's what that it, the, the understanding they have but they can't sit on their butt because mm -hmm. in the in the in the real estate or in the other type of business what they are used to is hustle that's what made them successful they were hustlers they 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 did they they made things happen they hired people they they pushed them around they made things happen and then when they go and try to do the same in the stock market it's like, look, you're taking a passive role in a company. You're not running the company anymore. So the the the, the characteristics of hustling that made you, made you successful in business is going to make you unsuccessful in the stock market. Because in the stock market, you need to sit on your butt and do nothing for years. But you need to understand patience and you need to understand 
that it takes time to add value. I think one reason to it too, just from an outside perspective of stocks, when you look at it, it's like, oh, it's so easy to just to buy and sell the stocks. And I don't even have to understand it. I don't even need to look at anything. I could just buy and sell it easily using any app. And then people get into it. But the, uh, the, thing, the thing they fail about it is they're not doing the due diligence. Like if you were to buy real estate, you do your due diligence. You look at the disclosure package. You look at the property. You inspect it. You do everything you can to figure it out. But in stocks, I can just throw money at it and see what happens. And a lot of times people just base it on speculation. Oh, yeah, I think this company's going to go up. People are talking about it. Let me just throw some money in. And then, oh, it went up a dollar. I just sell it right now. And then it goes up $100. Oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't wait. I didn't sit there and look at it. I didn't review the financials, the accounting, and see that they have 50% gross margins. And that's a great company with leadership. Or sometimes they get into the ones that are bad because they didn't look at it. And it was all hyped up to really do well, but it failed to perform, right? Like you look at all the vision funds and those vision funds are vision funds for a reason, right? You don't know for sure, but you're trying to make a unicorn out of something. It might work, might not. And you're throwing a lot of money at it. But when you look at the accounting, it's going downhill, burning so fast. How do you, how are they going to survive? Are they capital intensive or are they not? And then people and, just jump in, right? So and, I think and, one, thing one other important thing that I want to catch on to what you said is that when a buyer is looking at a real estate tra transaction, the buyer is going to do the due diligence. He's going to make sure that, you know, he understands the fundamentals of the property. But what, what you didn't say is that the seller is not an idiot. <laughs> okay. The seller of a real estate property is a fundamental, it's, it's a business person. He or she knows exactly how much rent this property gets, what the taxes are, what the market is. Okay. He is not an idiot. He's not going to sell you the property uh, for 10 cents on a dollar. And that's where the biggest advantage in the stock market is, is that the seller can be an idiot. Because the seller can be a hedge fund. The seller can be a, a guy that doesn't even know what he owns. Or the seller can be somebody who's just who just listened to CNBC and somebody told him that the recession is around the corner or that uh, interest rates are going to go up by you know uh, 25 basis points or two, uh, 250 basis points, right? Uh, he gets scared because he's like, oh my goodness, I need to sell my shares because... The next day, they might be cheaper. Nobody in real estate, nobody in the business world, try to go and approach a, a restaurant owner and say, you know what? The Fed just said that they're going to raise interest rates. Why don't you sell me your restaurant for half of the price than, than you wanted to sell it to me a, a week before? He's going to you know, tell you nicely to leave the restaurant or, or he will kick you out not nicely. All right? It doesn't happen in the business world. In the business world, people are smart. So the fluctuations, uh, the fluctuations in what they're willing to sell you, their business or their property, are not as great as what you can get in the stock market simply because you're dealing with owners that are not true, true owners. And you can take advantage of them. Yeah. And... That's the part of it too. Like, okay, now I have to, for example, if they're doing full-time jobs or working everything, how do they spend time investing and learning about these companies, calling everyone, talking? But like you mentioned, when you first start off, you, you, you dedicate time, you grind it out, you start learning about it, you start figuring it out. And like, as you slowly invest more and more money, you start learning about it and creating results. And even for you, you how, like, let's talk about how did you go from 10,000 to 1.1 million in the start? Like, how do what? What's all the challenges you went through to do that? So it took me about, took me about, 
I mean, because I invested in 2009, which was at the bottom, so it took me about 12 months to go from 10,000 to 100,000. 100, but then it took me about seven years, and I stayed at that level uh, for about seven years uh, because I had a, a four-year period that was absolutely horrible. And then from 2016 to now, you know, it just exploded. Um, and the period that was so horrible was from 2011 to 2016 because I got involved in the gold mining sector. Um, and I got involved in the worst business that um, that's humanly possible. That's, that's when I realized no matter how much you know about companies, when you invest in companies that are terrible, uh, you're not going to end up very, very nice. And Warren Buffett always says, invest in a company that even an idiot can run because one day an idiot will run it. And so I took the quote and I said, do not invest in companies that even a genius can run, cannot run. Uh, and that's, that's your gold mining, gold, gold mining companies. Uh, if it wasn't for that period of, you know, those four, four horrible years, my performance would have probably been better. Um, but, you know, you live and you learn. Yeah, and I think that's all all about it. Like, like I I was just doing an event yesterday and talking about failure. Like, you're not failing. You gotta keep trying, right? And even if you fail ten thousand times, you're actually learning ten thousand times how to not do it the wrong way. You're learning how to do it the right you, way. You, you learn you learn more from failures than you learn from successes. And you, if you only have successes, then your uh your ego might get just a little bit too big. Yeah. So I, I so I am very thankful for the for the losses that I I had because now. You know, I'm more, I'm humble and, uh, and I always realize, I always realize that another blow up can be just around the corner. So that's why I choose to invest in good quality companies. Uh, that's number one determinant because if, if the business is good, you know, even if I make mistakes, just because the business is good, it will probably bail me out. Yeah. You're right. And you're, you're also invested in multiple companies. So you're actually, even in your investments, you're still diversifying because you're investing in multiple companies and you have different sectors within those and the ones you like and trust and you see potential even during this time period of COVID, uh, you know, meltdowns and things like that. If you can see sustainability within those companies and you are patient to wait it out and knowing that they have the right leadership, then it can be uh, exponential. But the hardest part is waiting, sitting there. Like, who wants to see numbers drop down? So, you know, and then, you know, for example, even Amazon too, right? The numbers are not always positive. They're going up and down. They fluctuate even over 20-year period. You know, it, it took a lot of time, right? And the goal was to always grow with. Yeah, the the volatility, uh, the volatility is, if you want to make a lot of money the way I'm making it, you have to have a stomach for volatility because, one of the things that I like about my sector is the lack of competition. But one of the reasons why there's lack of competition is because smaller companies have more volatility. And volatility scares people. And mm -hmm. volatility keeps people away. So if I can handle that volatility, you know, that automatically eliminates so much competition. Yeah. And let's talk about, um, like, what do you think about Warren Buffett? And, like, how, how is his strategies? Like, what does he do? Well, uh, Warren Buffett is what got me started into this whole thing. And what I appreciate about Warren Buffett is that he approaches investing from the point of view that there is something behind the ticker symbol. There is a business behind the ticker symbol. And 
So, you know, invest intelligently, invest fundamentally. But what I do different than Warren Buffett is that I, I invest, I invest in a way that young Warren Buffett would invest because someone asked him a question at Berkshire Hathaway, what he would do if he had $10,000 to his name and he was graduating college. He said he would go after small companies and he would start A through Z, look at them one by one. And he would do that because the investment industry is not set up to benefit from small companies. Uh, so the probability of mispricing is the greatest at these small companies that are obscure that nobody knows about. Uh, so that's the, that's really what I'm trying to follow is exactly what he would do if he was younger. Because right now he cannot do what I'm doing because he has too much money. He has to go after the big wealth. Uh, and, you know, he, he just doesn't have time. And the whole industry doesn't have time to go and invest in the things that I can. Um, but just like what you said, when you have you know, 10,000 to your name, don't, don't go after apartment buildings. Go after single family homes. Like, because you, you're small enough that you can do this. But then as you become more and more successful, you are forced to go after bigger, bigger buildings, after bigger, bigger properties, or maybe even portfolios, simply because of your size. And because of that, you are not going to pay attention to the small opportunities that might be just around the corner in this neighborhood. Yeah. And I think about that all the time too. Like, for example, when you talk to new investors, new uh, buyers, there's really, you don't have to stay to your local market in real estate. You can actually go anywhere. The point, the problem with it is people don't want to spend time in researching, investing and looking at different markets to figure out different segments, growth opportunities, net migrations. They don't want to sit there and learn this. But at the same time, if you have $10,000, you, you need to start investing, not just leaving it in the bank. Inflation kills it. And you got to realize, okay, with this investing money, this play money, at my age, I can take young, I can take risks, especially at a younger age, and I can use this as an opportunity to learn, to start investing, to find an area where I can invest with zero down, 3% down, 10% down. And there's homes in the market in, in the U.S. that are relatively cheap but still have really good cash and cash. But if you don't spend the time researching just like you do in the stock market, then you never get the opportunity to find it, right? That's right. People, people want to be told where to invest their money. It's for some reason... In general, people are so scared. They don't, like, you can have a doctor that makes a lot of money, but he's so scared to to put that money into use and, and make the money work for him or her. And, and especially when it comes to, you know, the stock market investing, people want to invest in things that other people invest in. So they read in the newspaper or so-and-so is investing here. I want to invest in this. And that's not the greatest recipe for success. Just like when you are selling a house, uh, you don't, uh, eat, sorry, if you're buying a house, you don't really mm -hmm. want a lot of people competing with you for that house if you want to get yep. a good price. And if you're selling a house, you want a lot of people looking at your house. And why wouldn't you do the same when it comes to investing, any type of investing? You want to invest in things that you don't have a lot of competition. After you invest in it, then yeah, you want a lot of people looking at it, but not while, you, not while you're trying to buy it. <laughs> very very true and i i go back to that experience too during the last two years during COVID time a lot of people were hesitant to buy they're like one is like 
if I know you have a stable job and you're you're safe, for example, like doctors, dentists, lawyers, they they're pretty safe, right? They have some tech companies are pretty safe, but even during this time period, a lot of people are hesitant to buy real estate. They're hesitant to buy, sell, trade, even though the opportunity was there. And the interest rates are so low; they're like dirt cheap, free money. And even then, like, oh, let me just wait and try to find the right opportunity a year later after COVID or two years later now. And guess what? The prices skyrocketed and the interest rates are climbing up and you're losing purchasing power. And they go, oh, yeah, and because now everyone's buying, I want to go start looking. I'm like, well, you had two years to not to look. And there's so much opportunity that you passed because no one was looking or people were scared, even though you had a stable job. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's interesting because when we bought our house in 2014, we bought it during the winter. And that uh, at that time, uh, not very many people like those homes. We're, we're sitting on the market mm -hmm. and we we were at a different state uh we we and, and you know my, my girlfriend and i we were both real estate appraisers so when we saw the house we bought it without seeing it yeah because we knew it was a good deal we we had a friend in the area and we said look go and look at it if you like it we'll take it and we didn't even negotiate we didn't even like we just bought full price for it and, and you know now you look at it it appreciated from like 140 to 270 Nice. Um, and uh, and simply because we bought it when nobody was looking at it, it was during winter, and mm -hmm. uh, and it was during the time that in general people were the, the homes weren't moving that fast. But you know we didn't bother to be like, oh, you know, let's see if we can get it for four thousand cheaper. It didn't matter. We, we knew that it was going to sell. I mean, we knew it was good property. It was it was only like 20, 20 years old, mm -hmm. and and we got it. And you know. And now if we were to sell it, we, we would walk away with a lot more than what we put in. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that too. So even for you, it comes back to now that you have, you've been building so much in the stock market that you're using some of this money for the real estate market. And there's still opportunity for a lot of equity growth, even from going doubling your money there, getting the tax benefits if you're exchanging and everything else, mm -hmm. that over time, that takes care of a lot of um, growth as well and the tax benefits for, your, for yourself. So yeah, that's, that's good right. that you're looking at both sides of things. You know, it's always good to diversify and to look at actively how can you help um, financially build your portfolio while reducing taxes, you know? Yeah, that's right. What's the difference between trading and investing? Okay, when you're investing, uh, I guess it would be the difference between investing in real estate or flipping it. Mm -hmm. uh, when... When you have a mindset of, of investing, you are investing in something and you're hoping that the, the, the company will be more valuable down the road because it will have more clients or if it will have a new product or this or that. When you're trading, you're more likely focused on the short term. So if, if you're thinking of you know days or weeks or months, how much can a business change in such a short period of time? Not much. So you're most likely going to use technical analysis, all these predictive analytics, in order to predict the price, not the value, but the price. So you're more more likely focused on the behavior of people, uh, the velocity of how many people are buying this stock. You're just, you know, using charts and things like that to 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 game the market. Uh, you know, I tend to focus on the business. I tend to look at it for many years and I'm interested in what the business is worth. 
today and what it's going to be worth in the future and how much I'm paying for it. Yeah. And I think even for me, I wish I invested, you know, more into like, for example, you see like Apple back in the days, right? Like back in the days, Apple, Tesla, Amazon, PayPal, you see these companies, you like, you think about it, but of course the hesitation, the not, the unknown, the risk, the timing, the money, the age is like, and you look back, oh yeah, I could have done that. I would have made a lot of money. But of course, a lot of people are always after the fact. And you look at it, why did these companies succeed? And really it came down to the leadership, the principles, what they were doing and how how they're doing it. But even with that, failure comes along and up, it goes up and down. But the waiting time, uh, the patience and watching grow, like look at uh, Tesla's valuation. Look at the numbers now. How much did it, from like five years ago, what's the difference in the valuation, right? It's crazy yeah. how fast they grew it even though they're heavily capital intensive he had a, a big vision right like a super big vision and then he, he changed the industries car industry automotive space but then finding those kind of people out there who are special who can like you say it, they don't have to be nice they don't have to be perfect but if they can execute the, what the goal is and make it happen then you know it can change yeah, let, yeah. Yeah. Let, let me let me give you an idea that you're talking <laughs> about the vision a vision of how people can make money, how they can see something happening. Yeah. So there's this company called Voxter, V-O-X-T-U-R. The ticker symbol is V-X-T-R. And if you're interested, go to my YouTube channel. I talk about it. Um, and because you guys are in real estate, you, you will truly understand this. The bottleneck, uh, so, so, so there's a few, few stories here. The bottleneck of the real estate transaction is an appraisal. Appraisal mm -hmm. takes forever. It's very stressful. There's not enough appraisers uh, in, in the U.S., and that's why they take forever. Uh, so this company uh, that I found like 15 months ago, they have this platform that they make appraisers faster. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, they, they feed them data that, to make them faster, and they're solving, a, they're solving this problem that's a bottleneck in the appraisal industry. And now the major clients like um, UWM, United Wholesale Mortgage, are signing up for this platform to be more competitive because they want the appraisers to be faster and cheaper. And uh, nobody knows about this company. Barely anybody knows about this company. And I already 10x'd my money on it because I found it so early. But a few days ago, on April 6, they, they have a title division uh, as part of the company in addition to appraisals. And title insurance is like a scam. Like literally a scam. If, if you look at an insurance, regular insurance, health insurance or auto insurance, when insurance companies collect premiums, they pay out about 80% of premiums in claims because they, they price their premiums based on probability. And that's what it turns out to. In title insurance, there's only about 3% that are paid out in claims, which means the entire 97% uh, or 95% is pocketed by the insurance um, insurance companies, so they're literally stealing stealing money from uh, from real estate people that are buying uh, buying the prop uh, buying the property. So about two years ago, Voxter started working with uh, with the regulators to introduce a new product called Attorney Opinion Letter uh, as an alternative to title insurance. And it took about two years. And on April six, which is two days ago, Fannie Mae, in its guidelines which was like a thousand page document approved attorney opinion letter as an alternative to title insurance. Now this is monumental, 
monumental for this company because nothing in the past 75 years changed in title. And now this company, Voxter, has a patent for attorney opinion letter combined with data. So when now uh, uh, attorney opinion letter will, will start getting rolled out as a competitor to title insurance, this company is going to explode because if you're the buyer and you have a choice between paying $3,000 for title insurance or paying $500 for attorney opinion letter, which one are you going to choose? So the whole industry is experiencing a tectonic change that just happened two days ago. And nobody in real estate knows what's going on. Real estate brokers don't have, don't have a clue that it happened. Title insurance uh, are just waking up to the fact of what just happened. But the people that you know, position themselves and they can see that change or they know about that change and they, they realize how this change will impact the whole real estate industry, they can you know, position themselves and make a lot of money from it. And that's how I am positioning myself by buying a lot of stock in this company and talking about this company on my YouTube channel. Um, but I wanted to tell you about it because you guys can relate to it because you know you're in real estate, you know what title insurance is and you know what kind of impact this change can have on the whole industry. Yeah, and that makes total sense. And yeah, like for example, you're, you're finding inefficiencies with uh, title, with insurance, with all these uh, companies out there, and you figure a way to make it better, cheaper, and easier. And a lot of buyers, they actually think about it. They ask, "Do I need title insurance? Why do I need this? How come it costs so much? Like, what does it do for me?" I never heard anyone ever claim a title insurance. Shouldn't they already know the answer for title because it's, you know the house has been there for so long? And even there's clouds and other things. But people always question that. So if a company like Voxter um, comes out and says we can do it better, cheaper, and we have attorney letters, opinion letters, and it's cheaper, some people will take the risk and say that's a risk or it's not a risk, and it's you know like six times cheaper. It's worth it to me. And it, as long as the lenders take it, then they'll do but the, it. The, the most important thing about yeah. this was Fannie Mae approving it as a as a as a in the guidelines because yeah. you you know in the mortgage space. When the mortgages are originated, the originators don't want to hold those mortgages. They want to sell them in the second secondary market. And in order for those loans to be sold in the secondary markets, they have to uh, comply with the guidelines of Fannie Mae. So if yeah. attorney opinion letter is in those guidelines, then the lenders can originate loans with the attorney opinion letter in it instead of a title insurance. That product can be sold in the secondary market and and that, that was the key to this, because without being able to sell your loans in the secondary market, that product is not going to succeed. Yeah. So now the fact that these lenders can sell it to secondary markets, uh, it makes it so much easier. Then, So now what you're waiting for is a time for all the lenders to start implementing it into their systems, start seeing it, people choosing it, and start accepting it and reselling it to Fannie Mae. So when that happens and you see the explosion of the company actually being utilized, then their stock should go up, right? Yeah, well, they're starting off in four states. They're starting off in four states and they have uh, four lenders or insurance companies already starting on the platform next month. So it's going to start you know, slower as any new product starts slow, but then they're going to roll it out to, to every state in the US. And, if, and they, don't have to, they don't have to destroy uh, the, the, the whole title insurance. They just need a, a small market share of mm -hmm. that of that you know to to in order because these numbers are so huge that uh any any percentage of that is huge for a small company like that and and you're right it, the, the the stock price is 
is probably going to go absolutely nuts when people realize what's going on. And also sometime in the second quarter, this company is going to go and uplift from the Toronto Stock Exchange venture to NASDAQ. And when it goes to NASDAQ, then it's a completely different different game. And I personally own about 1.3 million shares. I think I'm going to get... I think I'm going to make 50 million on it based right. on what I think that the stock is going to do, you know, fundamentally when these things happen. And that's big too, because like, you know, you're not taking it by a small chunk and just say, okay, I just put like 1,000, 2,000, 5,000. You put 1.3 in it. That's a lot of money to put in, in value, regardless of what price point you bought it at, that dollar amount, that value is a lot to, to swallow. Right. And like you're betting big, but you're also in your portfolio, that's a small portion, but you're betting on it and you're realizing you're taking news, what's happening, the, for, for example, Fannie Mae approving it and now it's rolling out. So you're waiting. Next thing for you is waiting. How long do you need to, you think you need to wait before you can like hit 10X, 50X? As long as it takes. It, it might take three years, might take five years. Uh, I just know, I just know that this is a very big problem in the industry. Yeah, and and uh, Fannie Mae and HUD are addressing it, and this is not the only thing that they're addressing. They're also addressing the appraisals. That's why this this company uh, is going to uh, do well because of all that. Because th- uh, Fannie Mae did a study in December talking about the how uh, the closing costs for low income buyers of real estate are higher than the down payment. How crazy is this? That yeah. the cost of the appraisal and and title, uh, because because these are the most uh, biggest contributors to the closing costs, are higher than the down payment. So, <laughs> so they're addressing this issue. They're addressing this issue by changing some standards on the appraisal side, where now desktop appraisals can be used for uh, as regular appraisals, where before you had to have a full blown appraisal with the appraiser going and inspecting the property. Now, now desktop desktop appraisers appraisals uh, can be used for purchase transactions, which means that the appraiser doesn't have to leave the office. So that 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 speeds up the whole process. And then the whole thing with with um, the title or attorney opinion letter that's part of the whole transaction of lowering the closing costs because. You know, if we can lower the closing costs, we can increase uh, affordability of housing. So that's a big deal. Nice. And then, yeah, I, I got to look at this company too because what you said, it makes total sense. And it, yeah, even when you look at the daily trading, it goes up and down a little bit. But even for you, you know, it's about the long-term effect because this just started rolling out and people are testing it out. But once it starts gaining momentum and going into all the systems and uh, everyone doing it, that valuation will definitely increase a lot uh, just based on that fact. If once they get it rolling out, so that patients are waiting and watching the daily numbers, you know, you just and, and it's not, and it's not, it's not like some little dinky company out there. This is mm-hmm. a company that already has, they're going to have about $200 million of revenues in 2022. So nice. this is not like a startup or anything, but you know, for, for those that are interested, go to my YouTube channel. I created a 11 part video series about this company explaining, you know, what's happening. So don't just buy the stock, like, like, you know, <laughs> just, you know, okay, educate yourself, watch my videos and then decide on your own. If this is something that you, you want to be part of. Cool. Any advice you have for uh, investors, new or seasoned investors for 2022? Probably the best thing you can do is to think independently. 
think independently, make your own decisions. Don't don't rely on others to tell you what to do and just, you know, make up your own mind on your own. Yeah. And I think really like focus on, you know, learning to invest, focus on being independent, doing your research, figuring out solutions, trial and error. Don't go blow all your money on one thing, but like really try to learn about the experience and try to get the financial goal the passive income and build real wealth i think that's the real goal rather than just sitting there leaving money in a bank and just having a job right like try to build up your your value your your family yeah i would agree with that okay cool how do people reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing and how you can help them yeah take take the in my impossible to pronounce name put it into, <laughs> put it into youtube and you'll find my youtube channel and and then you, you'll find all kinds of ways to uh, to contact me. Okay. And how do you pronounce your first and last name again? Mariusz Skonieczny. All right. Thank you, Mariusz, for your help on this and talking about real estate, talking about investing and learning from you more on the differences and how it can help people and how people just need to make some kind of movement to really learn and grow. So yeah, be sure to check you out on YouTube and other social media channels, learn more about what you're doing and how you're growing your portfolio. That's amazing how you went from 10,000 to over what, 4 million now. Yeah. And that's a lot of guts to do. And I, you know, for you, congratulations on that volatility dealing with and really learning about it over a 10 year period. This is not one day period where you make all this money. 10, you said 10 years to become where you're at now. That's a lot of time. Yeah, that's right. More like 13. (laughs) <laughs> and I've been here for 16 years and I started, you know, in real estate since I was 24. So it's been a long time building this up and a lot of fun and going to that multi-unit space and investing heavily out, out of state now. So every day is always a learning day for all of us. Yeah. Cool. Everyone out there. Thank you guys so much for being on the truth about real estate podcast. We'll see you guys in the next one. Have a great day.